2: My only
0: object in being here is to try and get at the truth. Where shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a
3: golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm going to make him an awful deal. All real, men. Love is... is love. Too weak a
1: word. for back. I loathe you. Love
0: it? I loathe you. Why I love you, you. I,
1: you. <laughs> 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 I did as he said. If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instruction. This ain't reality TV. Respect it, invalidate
4: it. Remember that you told me. It's time, Robbie.
3: Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast.
4: And the Oscar goes to Parasite.
3: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 212 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Neglia. Time of recording, 11.06 a.m. on September 20th, 2020. Here to join me today, I have Josh Parham. Hello, hello. Dan Baer.
5: Good morning.
3: And Cody Derricks. Hiya. All right, so right off the top here, I actually just want to take a brief moment to acknowledge uh, the monumental loss uh, that the country suffered uh, on Friday with the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, at age 87 years old, a titan amongst American history, uh, her accomplishments, her incredible life, uh, they just like, there's no words for the amount that she was able to accomplish not just for women's rights but for human rights across the board and is a very very devastating loss politically but also too just in terms of you know when you look for like the best in all of us and the best in humanity ruth bader ginsburg exemplified that so this was definitely uh, a a very very crushing loss however i do want to say that it is a Great opportunity for those that missed uh, these two films, uh, the documentary RBG and also uh, On the Basis of Sex. uh, You can definitely now uh, check those out. And if you you don't know uh, the work that Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, did as a Justice of the Supreme Court, um, hopefully those two movies will definitely enlighten you and let you all know uh, just what a incredible human being she was
1: especially R. B. G. that's a really good documentary that people should check out if they haven't already
5: yeah it it is a incredibly incredibly sad thing um one thing that i sort of took comfort in because it happened on the eve of the jewish new year rosh Hashanah and in jewish lore, scholarly wisdom, um, anyone who dies on the eve of the new year, those are supposed to be the most righteous people because God has let them live out the full measure of a year. So, uh, if there was anyone in this world who was truly righteous, it was Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And yeah, yeah. Watch RBG cry during the final scene of On the Basis of Sex. Yeah.
6: And if you're feeling any emotion, whether it's distraught or angry or proud of her accomplishments, please, please, please use this as motivation to vote with enthusiasm as early as possible. Please.
5: You can still register. Mm hmm.
3: And I do want to also preface by saying that um, I think, you know, because I actually had somebody say this to me a couple of days ago. All I ever hear is vote, vote, vote. Everybody's always stressing it. Like, I get it already. For those people out there that don't understand why we keep constantly telling people even on this podcast to vote, there is a great emphasis on the word great documentary that's available now on Amazon Prime called All In the Fight for Democracy which does illustrate uh, the struggles for ro- voting rights here in America. And I say that because everyone like just naturally assumes that they have the right to vote and that this is something that can't be necessarily taken away from them or anything. I highly urge you to check out this documentary and understand why the very act of voting is so important. <laughs> if you have not checked out this documentary, please, please, please do. With that said... Let's get into uh, the topic of this week's podcast here. So film festivals, uh, Venice and TIFF are now officially behind us. The Audience Award winner for the Toronto International Film Festival will probably be revealed, hopefully, while we're recording, so we'll have a chance to talk about it. Uh, But if not, we'll talk about it next week. New York Film Festival is currently underway at the moment with um, Lovers Rock, the first in the Small Axe anthology series from Stephen Queen that debuted the other day. And a couple of other movies currently screening on their virtual service, also equipped with some drive-in screening. So we'll just talk about where things currently stand right now with the festivals, the aftermath of them, and just the overall vibe as we head into the awards season here. Uh, We're also going to touch upon some news this week, answer some questions, go over the polls, and plus two trailers for The Trial of the Chicago 7 and The Father. But first up, let's hear what everyone's been watching this week. Why don't we start off with Cody Derricks? All
6: right. So um, I haven't done a ton of uh, watching this week. Uh, The most recent new movie that I watched uh, from 2020 was I'm Thinking of Anythings. Uh, Absolutely loved it. I was surprised by how much I liked it because I'm kind of hot and cold on Charlie Kaufman. Uh, I cannot recommend it enough. It is uh, surreal, but also funny, but also heartbreaking. Um, It's extremely well made. Uh, Yeah, please check it out, especially if you're somebody who was nervous to watch it like me. I urge you to check it out.
0: Okay.
1: All right. Josh Parm. So this week I actually got through uh, quite a bit of things. Um, I Also, you did mention... All, the all-in documentary. I did watch that, and it's very informative, very good. Uh, even if it has uh, information that you already knew about, it's delivered in a very effective manner, and yeah, it's vital watching, especially right now. Uh, I did see The Devil All the Time, which we did have a review for, and it was fine. There's some good things in it, but ultimately, it didn't feel like it ever really came together in a completely satisfying way. It's not terrible but it's not that great either and the last thing that i do want to mention is i saw another documentary called dick johnson is dead yes and oh man like first of all let me just say incredible work it's an incredible movie very emotional so well done with great commentary about death and your kind of relationship to your parents and the legacies they leave and all these different things and it's really really good and i was crying profusely throughout all of it many times i actually had to kind of step away because it was affecting me so emotionally and it's a very kind of relatable story in that regard, but it's still very insightful and funny at times too. So it's going to be on Netflix in a couple of weeks,
3: and when it does, I cannot recommend it highly enough. And it, to me, it's one of the best films of the year. I also had the chance to watch that documentary, and it made me laugh, and made me cry, it made me smile, it made me really appreciate uh, the time that we have here on this earth, and not just uh, our time, but also the time that we have with our loved ones as well. It was a pretty transcendent experience in a way because of how uh, Kristen Johnson utilizes the cinematic art form to tell her story about her father. It's a very experimental documentary and one that was also deeply intimate in ways that I just was really really emotionally devastated by and yet it it, it's incredible because you know I, I feel like nowadays with documentaries, they have to be like issue documentaries about things that are impacting the world or something that is just impacting us politically. But this is something about someone's own personal connection to someone in their life that they deeply care about. But yet it's so universal and it resonated just so deeply uh, with myself, with Josh, and I'm sure when others get a chance to see it with them as well, I really do think that this is definitely a huge contender for this year's Oscar for best documentary, especially when you consider uh, Kristen Johnson uh, previously uh Got pretty close with camera person, uh, which got her a lot of notoriety. So she's a name now that people recognize. And I I think that goodwill is going to carry over.
1: I would agree with that. To me, this is a movie that even if you don't necessarily love documentaries, I think this is even one that would pull that kind of person in. It has some traditional documentary stuff in it, but it also feels experimental and unique, like you said, Matt. And I also just cannot understand how anybody wouldn't find some kind of emotional connection to this story. We we have all been through it, and I think it touches on a lot of things that people go through in their everyday lives, and it's very, very effective in doing so. Yep, absolutely. Anything else? Uh, there is one other movie that I did see um, that I think I will mention. You know, for me, I see a lot of very kind of cheesy horror movies and i usually don't talk about them on the show because they're not very good and you've never heard about them so there's no point but i saw one recently that was kind of better than average and <laughs> the title of it is called flesh eating mothers
3: <laughs> okay hey? yeah. Oh. yeah you have
1: and my interest <laughs> so it's a it's sequel a movie. to the brood <laughs> kind of i mean it <laughs> this is um it's a movie that it, it's In the 80s, it's an 80s horror film, and essentially the premise is this adulterous guy in the neighborhood is having affairs with all of these different housewives, and he essentially gives them an STD that makes them into insatiable cannibals with superhuman strength that terrorize the neighborhood. And... I'm not going to oversell it. I'm not going to say, like, this is a great movie. It's not. But if you have an affinity for these kind of schlocky horror movies from the 80s like I do, and you know how many of them are just downright terrible, this was one that I actually found to be kind of entertaining. Again, not selling it to be a masterpiece. But for what it is, I kind of had a good time with it. And it's streaming on Amazon Prime right now. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, that's one that I would actually recommend you check
3: out. Okay. All right, awesome. I have never heard of that, so all right. <laughs> I never heard of it either until I saw it, but I surf Amazon Prime a
1: lot for movies like that because I have a very big soft spot for them.
3: Fair enough, fair enough. What about you, Dan Bear? Tiff is over. It's in your rearview mirror now. Tell us about what happened over the last couple of days for you.
5: Yeah, Tiff is over, and I'm uh, kind of sad about it. Um, it, was, it was a very weird strange time to be doing a film festival at home in my apartment without seeing things in theaters and without talking to people in person about it but um you know it is the age it's the digital age it's the age of the internet it's the age of social media and people were you know talking on twitter talking on letterboxd um in what ways that we could and it. You know it was a good festival actually like I saw nothing this year that I would place below like a 5 on a scale of 10 and last year I saw when I was there in person I saw like two or three things that fell into that lower than good category for me um but this year like they were all really solid even if there were a lot less than usual um usually I think TIFF has between 2 and 300 movies and this year they only had 50 but I was able to see, um, like thirty, thirty-one of them, and I was very pleased. I saw, I saw both of my favorite films of the festival since we talked on the last show. Um, one was a Serene film called Quo Vadis Aida, which also played at Venice, which is about a a UN translator during the Bosnian genocide, and it's absolutely fantastic. Um, I'm not going to try to say any names because I will hopelessly uh, botch them. But the lead actress in that is really, really good. I hope it gets selected for submission to the Oscars because it's just amazing.
3: I watched that one, too. And it has such a sense of urgency to its filmmaking. And you really, really feel this intense momentum as it builds and it builds and it builds. And it is Also just a very painfully emotional uh, experience to watch as well. Um, She's essentially trying to save her husband and two sons um, while she's this UN translator and everybody's trying to like seek refugee like inside of the UN uh, like building that they occupy. And if they stay outside of the building, they're all going to get slaughtered essentially. Mm -hmm. So the sense of urgency is just like through the roof throughout like from the very beginning all the way to the end of the movie and yeah i agree with dan like this is a movie that really packs such a punch that it really could be an international contender my only my only problem is that a lot of the dialogue was in english and i wonder if it yeah. could get disqualified and may not make the uh it may not make it through under the academy's rules for that
5: yeah that was that was, that was my big thing with it but like it it, it, it deserves to be in that conversation because it's just fantastic. The final, like ten minutes of it were just like an emotional wallop. I I, I was sat there sort of stunned in my seat. It was uh, it was re- it's really powerful filmmaking, not flashy, but really solidly good and great performance. Um, and and my other favorite of the festival. Was one that I think we're going to be talking about soon, uh, the father with Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Coleman, which I let's let's actually hold save on that. I'll yeah, save let's that.
3: save it for the trailer. I, okay. I would like to uh, discuss it then. <laughs> okay.
5: <laughs> uh, I also saw a really amazing documentary that I hope everyone sees, even though it's going to be difficult. Uh, called Seventy Six Days, which is about the lockdown of wuhan china in the wake of the outbreak of COVID 19 and i was stunned by it i mean the fact that they were able to make this at all is kind of amazing um it is officially credited as directors to three people um Hao Wu, we say chen and Anonymous, because the that third person is afraid of retaliation from the Chinese government for even making this. But they basically had um, one person in America compiling all the footage that two filmmakers shot across, like uh, I think three or four hospitals in Wuhan, and editing it together. And it's just there is you have not seen a documentary more immediate than this. Um, It's the, as far as I'm concerned, like the document about the pandemic and it's done so well. There are images from this that still haunt me. And I saw it like a week ago. Um, Really, really strong as the more I think about it, the more I think it's one of the front runners for documentary feature at the Oscars, assuming it gets released Um, when it, when it does come out, see it because it's so it's it's horrifying and gut-wrenching but it's also really really heartening what you are watching the frontline workers in the hospital just do everything that they can for their patients and everything and it's just it's really well done it's a
3: really really good uh, showcase of what heroes are really made of and I, I agree with Dan that um, it, it it could very well be in the documentary conversation
5: especially considering how timely it is as well yeah, and the story of how it was made. I mean, people are going to respond to that. Um, I, I did see another documentary that's getting a lot of buzz called The Truffle Hunters, which is lovely. Um, it, basically, old Italian men and their dogs. So it's like the cutest <laughs> documentary you'll ever see. The, the cinematography in this, the lighting, the framing, it it looks like the cinematography of a narrative feature more so than a documentary. So it looks amazing. Uh, People are going to love it when that comes out. Um, I also saw another documentary called underplayed, which is about uh, female DJs, which was really, really good. Oh God. What else? MLK FBI, which I know a lot of people are very excited about to see which was interesting. Didn't fully work for me because it is told literally entirely through uh, archival footage um, and they do have you know talking heads, but we don't see the talking heads. They just sort of like post their name on the screen while they're speaking, but they don't say who they are, why we should be listening to them, which at some points was a little confusing, but it's a powerful story, obviously, about how the FBI was surveilling Martin Luther King and what the government's view of the these peaceful protesters and the civil rights movement was at the time which is really fascinating and the more we get removed from that in history i think the less we remember that these people really were considered dangerous at the time so um definitely watch that too when it comes out um as far as oscar contenders i saw uh good joe bell with mark Wahlberg which now is probably not an Oscar contender because it just got eviscerated by um, lots of critics and particularly film Twitter. But I actually thought it was really good. Um, yeah, the script is kind of clunky and tends to like overstate its themes rather loudly, but that's also true to how these characters would speak. Um Mark Wahlberg plays a man named Joe Bell who sort of lives in uh, rural Oregon and his son is, comes out as gay and then commits suicide. It, this is a true story, so I'm not spoiling anything. Um, and he decides to walk across the country speaking to anyone who will listen about the terrors and horrors of bullying, which, like, yeah, you would think that many people don't need to do that, but they do. Um And I was actually very surprisingly moved by it. Like the end of that movie came and I just like broke down in tears and I'm still not quite sure why because I didn't think it was amazing, but it was good up until that point. But packed a really real emotional sucker punch at the end.
3: I've concluded that this movie worked for Dan and I think that the majority of people it really didn't work for and a lot of that has to do with I think – um biasness against Mark Wahlberg before even watching the movie. I will say that the movie is not great. No. But but here's the thing. I could very easily see this being the film Twitter, we hate it, but Academy voters really connect with Wahlberg's performance yeah. uh, sort of thing. Because I even I even said this to Dan. This is the kind of movie I think that like my parents would sit down and they would get it. Yeah. They don't have to work hard to get it. It's so general in the way that it presents its complicated issues. And that's the thing that film Twitter absolutely hates is when it takes something that's nuanced and complicated and they want it to be treated with like a degree of like seriousness. And then this movie kind of just presents it in a way that's so easily digestible for People that, quite frankly... Like, this movie isn't made for film Twitter. It, it isn't yeah, made for them. No. It's made for people <laughs> that are not on film Twitter. And, and and in that regard, I yeah, I could see a world. <laughs> I could
5: see a world. It works, is the thing. Like, if you go into it with, you know any like your mind even slightly open i think it works i mean like again like with the caveat that like the script is not good but it makes sense for this particular person to be saying these things in this way um and it's written by larry mcmurtry and diana osana who did brokeback Mountain*, so we know they They have a way with dialogue when they want to.
3: But I want to emphasize something though. This movie is not a play outside of Wahlberg.
5: Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Yeah, he is the only chance that the movie has. And I I do still think that it's a good one, assuming that after the somewhat vicious reviews, it manages to get distribution.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the key, right? Is that after those reviews, can it even survive that to get distribution? Yeah. exactly.
5: I also saw uh, David Oyelowo's directorial debut, The Waterman, which is a really good, solid family adventure fantasy film um, that I, I was very impressed by uh, Oyelowo as a director. There are lots of little uh, grace notes with, Framing and the special effects. The
3: sound uh, work is really great the too. Sound
5: work is really good. The score, I love the score. Same, big fan. <laughs> um, and yeah, just it's the colors of it all are are really really beautiful and a nice message about how to you know deal with loss and tragedy, everything. And of course, the acting's great.
3: Think like the tone of like a Monster Calls.
5: Yeah, except better made than a monster calls or it holds together better than a monster calls. I would say
3: funny. Cause I like the monster calls a little
5: bit more, but that's okay. Oh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I, this, so this movie just got distribution is going to be released, uh, next summer. And I could not be happier. Uh, there's a midnight madness selection called shadow in the cloud, uh, with Chloe Grace Moritz, which I had an absolute blast with, I cannot wait for people to watch it and when it gets released. I it is one of the few movies that I saw this year at TIFF that I really missed being in the theater because there are some moments in this that would just blow people's minds and like generate a big reaction in the theater. It's basically uh, the old Twilight episode, uh, Twilight Zone episode, nightmare at twenty thousand feet. Um, with, you know, Chloe Grace Moritz is in the uh, uh, fighter pod of this B-12 flying, flying Fortress, and it's just her in this little claustrophobic space, and there she spots a gremlin on the side of the plane. And also, you know, an enemy plane in the distance. Um, it's it's really well done. It's it's clearly a B movie. It's kind of schlocky and crazy, but like this is uh, the director Roseanne Liang's, I think it's pretty sure it's her first feature working obviously with a tiny budget and it just plays like gangbusters. I was so into it all the way through. Lots of fun, and I can't wait for everyone else to see it. All right. I saw lots of other things too, but like I can't possibly go into all of them because we do have other things to talk about. But those are the big takeaways. Those are the ones that you should look for, I think.
3: And I will kind of just wrap this up by saying that um, I saw Concrete Cowboy. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, saw that one. Uh, Filmed uh, with Idris Elba and, and Caleb uh, McLaughlin uh, from Stranger Things, which I thought was a really solid movie. Um, it yeah. was a really honest look at um, a, a, a subculture of urban black cowboys that was interesting, and it, it it it's not like an Oscar play or anything like that, but it was just a really solid drama. I I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. And there were
5: there they cast a lot of people from that actual uh, the the um the stable in philadelphia that they filmed at or it's we're telling a story about and they were so good i did not even know until the end of the movie that they were not actors not professional actors
3: um i saw this (laughs) i saw this uh house film called in between dying and i felt like i was in between dying while watching it even though it (laughs) had some of the best cinematography i've seen this year new order oh michelle franco Holy crap. This movie was provocative. It was violent. It went in directions I did not expect. And it was maybe the most, I don't want to say enjoyable, but it was definitely, or even fun because it's not that, but it was definitely the most engaged I've ever been with one of his movies before. I will say that.
5: Yeah, that's a really, really strong one. The last like five minutes, my jaw was on the floor.
3: I don't think that that will appeal to Academy members, but it definitely is one of the more better international films I've seen so far this year.
5: I could see it making the shortlist, but as one of the um, as one of the like committee saves. Yeah, I could see that if Mexico submits it because it's really well done. Um, then I saw
3: everyone's favorite genre, a rape revenge film called Violation. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, hold on uh, the. Director and writer and star Madeline Sims Feuer is so good in this at playing the lead. Yeah. And this was also another film that had some of the best cinematography I saw, like at the festival. Some of the images in this are like Lars von Trier level, holy shit inducing in terms of how incredibly well shot
5: they are. Yeah. That one actually did remind me a lot of Antichrist in a lot of ways. Um, really well shot, but it's very, very, um, queasy.
3: Graphic. Yeah. They need to make some edits. Otherwise it's going to get an NC 17 for sure. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Moving over to MYFF really quick. Um,
5: <laughs> You're still thinking about it, aren't you? <laughs> I really am. Uh, so
3: I, I sat down for three and a half hours and I watched Malmkrog, uh, which was literally an avalanche a mountain of dialogue nonstop from the moment the movie starts all the way till the end. It is like just page to page to page of characters talking, talking about history, religion, good and evil, nationalism. Like it it is so much like a play that when there is and edit, because some of the shots just hold on for minutes on end, like over 10 minutes or something, that when there was like a cutaway to something else, my body jolted, and I was like, oh my God, like the camera cut away. You know, <laughs> just like, I was so shocked by it. Uh, and, you know, after I finally checked my watch, like after the first hour, and I was like, oh, I wonder how long I've been watching this. And I checked and it, it's only been an hour, and I was like, oh... <laughs> I still have two and a half hours to go. By the end of it, I emerged from my room and I like cried in my roommate's arms for a little bit because I just felt like I had sat through something that I, 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 I I, I'm, I'm over exaggerating. Listen, it's good. It's not great. And I think that it's an extremely mixed experience, depending on what it is you're looking for from your cinema. I really do think the dialogue in this is pretty phenomenal. But I just wish that the filmmaking and maybe just the overall tone of the movie had something with a little bit more excitement. You know, it's one thing to make a period film that has really, 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 really good dialogue. It's another thing to have that and then add something extra to it to make it stand out, a.k.a. the favorite, for example. So this was kind of like a very, very dry foreign language film that that is like kind of, in my opinion, the stereotype of what gives foreign language films a bad rap.
1: Well, wow, what a rousing recommendation that
3: is, man. <laughs> <laughs> we mentioned Dick Johnson is dead. We mentioned MLK FBI. Um, I saw another film called The Calming, which wasn't as torturous as Malcolm Krog, because this movie, although it was uh, quiet and it was very serene and beautiful, this one was 93 minutes long. Uh, some really, really nice composed shots, really soft lighting. Very quiet, like a like a huge lack of dialogue in this movie. But it was all about like the aftermath of a relationship and just the internal like process of that. I I, I, I quite enjoyed it for what it was. Definitely. Uh, I watched The Social Dilemma on Netflix and I immediately realized after watching that, that, you know, our country and our species is totally fucked. So there was that. Watched Another Round with Mads Mickelson. oh I can't yeah, wait to see that I, one <laughs> and I think Dan you watched that one too right yeah it's good yeah I thought it was good too I didn't think it was as good as The Hunt but I still liked it how's Mads he's
5: great oh yeah. god well first of all it's I said this to Matt like it's impossible for me to look at him and not see Hannibal oh. anymore <laughs> but like if anything could do away with that it's his performance in this he's really good
3: and the final sequence of the movie is like one of my favorite sequences of any movie this year by far. And I don't want to reveal exactly what it is, but um, it's worth watching just for that sequence. my yeah, opinion. And he plays it
5: perfectly.
3: And then I'll cap things off here with the opening film from the New York Film Festival, Steve McQueen's Lovers Rock, which was unlike anything I expected. I was thinking based on McQueen's previous movies, right? Like Hunger, Shame, 12 Years a Slave, that Lover's Rock was going to be, or all five of the movies within the Small Axe anthology were going to follow like a similar vein of storytelling as those movies did. And this was not that at all. This was just an hour, a little over an hour, of being at a party. A party in 1980s London filled with black culture, music, smiles, fun, the colors, the costumes, the camera movement. Like it was, it was like Steve McQueen saw a climax and said, I'll do my version of that. (laughs) You know, like, and it was so good in the sense that like, you know, I I kept waiting for the shoe to drop while watching it, you know, I kept waiting for, all right, when's the dramatic moment gonna happen? when is like something going to happen that's going to elicit some sort of drama or pain or something you know create some conflict it never does that it never does that and there was something that was very refreshing about that for me maybe it's because it was only an hour long if it had been two hours long i might have considered it to be a slight waste of time necessarily but like I have to say that even without like some major form of conflict and, and there is like mi- many bursts of conflict in, in in there, you know, like I'm not going to say that it's it's completely devoid of any, but it was still something that uh, was unlike anything I'd seen recently. And it was very, very refreshing to just see a celebration of blackness and. You know, without the pain of, like, something like antebellum that, like, relishes in it. You know? It, it was just really, really refreshing and really just joyous. I, I, I can't wait for you all to check it out. And I've heard that this is also the only fictional uh, story of the anthology from McQueen. The rest are all telling true stories. So I wonder if, be, if this is, like, by design for this first entry to be... Uh, sort of like different than the others in a way that, you know, uh, the other ones will follow a more conventional story structure. Uh, but who knows? I, I will say this, though. If McQueen keeps this level of originality and empathy throughout the rest of these uh, mini-movies, as it were, for this anthology series, I think we're going to be in for what is maybe going to be referred to as his masterwork. Because the opportunity and the scale is there for him to deliver something really, really special with this.
1: I'm very much looking forward to seeing them. I've been on my radar ever since I heard about them. Uh, Now, did you say Matt that it was like roughly an hour long? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So does that mean that we're pretty confident that these are going to be classified as TV movies then?
3: I am pretty confident because they are going straight to Amazon prime I I personally feel confident that this would be contending for the television movie categories at the Emmys next year, not for the Oscars this year. That's my own read on things.
1: OK, because I know that's been like some question lately, but I feel like if you've got something that's roughly an hour, that would, to me, signal that it would definitely be like an Emmys play as opposed to the Oscars. I still want to see it, but just to sort of
3: know where to classify it is useful. I mean, I think the problem is they have to submit each one of them individually. And as a result, I think the problem that each one of them would run into if they were going for Oscar consideration is a potential chance of vote splitting. I also don't know if everyone within the Academy will watch every single one of these when they are released. They might just watch one or so here and there. Which then makes me wonder, would it be smarter on their part if they were going to submit maybe just one for Oscar consideration and not, say, a bunch of them for different types of categories, you know, the way that, like, the Emmys present uh, different episodes for uh, different uh, technical categories and things of that
5: nature, you know what I mean? I mean, just stitch them all together and call it one giant movie people have done
6: it before yeah this kind of reminds me of when we were like what is the ballad of buster scruggs i mean it's not exactly the same because these are more you know sequestered but kind of
3: see the ballad of buster scruggs to me that one worked because of the fact that they were half an hour long or however long 20 minutes and then they were all stitched together in one package that didn't have to be viewed separately with their own end credit sequence or anything like that you know what i mean so yeah In that regard, that to me is the distinction, and I don't think that the Small Axe anthology is that, and so it has to qualify for Emmys, in my opinion.
5: Yeah, I was thinking more along the lines of O.J. Made in America and how people, all the people who's like, season three of Twin Peaks is a movie. Mm -hmm. It's not. Right. Ever. (laughs)
3: We're going to keep having this debate, obviously, as time goes on. But for now, uh, I'm pretty confident in saying that small acts Emmys. That's that's where I stand on it for now until proven
4: otherwise. Hello, everyone. This is J.D. from the In Session Film Podcast. Each week we review the latest from Hollywood, California. Well, yes, Brendan, we also give top three lists. Okay. yeah. Thanks again, Brendan. Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series, or other interesting film-related topics, and even rants and raves of the week. That's correct, Brendan. On top of our main show, every Friday, you can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father, after all. (laughs) Yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, You can listen to the In Session Film podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one? Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not kidding? how this works, sir. Hey, no, you you, no, 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 you go no. cry at Midnight Special again, oh, okay? okay? That's what you're I good will. for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't how buy it works. that. That's just how <laughs> it
3: works. <laughs> Let's jump into a trailer this week. Netflix, The Trial of the Chicago 7. One of the big Oscar contenders this year from Aaron Sorkin with a huge ensemble. This movie is going to be released in theaters in just five days, on September twenty fifth, and digitally on October sixteenth, on Netflix. Let's take a look at the trailer for this one. You know
0: why you're on trial here? The whole world's watching. The
2: whole world's watching. You all right? No words until I saw that. The whole world's watching.
1: World Martin's dead. World is Bob is dead. World is Jesus is dead.
0: World is they tried it peacefully. We gonna try something else. World is world is These rebels without a job. They're a threat to national security.
5: This revolution, we may have to hurt somebody's
2: feelings.
0: When you came to Chicago, were you hoping to draw the police into a confrontation?
5: I'm concerned you have to think about it. Give me a moment, would you, friend? I've never been on trial for my thoughts before. Is this officially a teaser or a trailer?
6: Well, that's what Netflix does, right? I mean, they put out, like, just a little thing, and then it's like,
5: see it in a few weeks. Yeah, because, like, it... It doesn't, I don't get a sense of what the movie as a whole is going to be like, I think, from watching this. Like, I get a sense of what it's about, but there's, it feels like nothing really holds for longer than a few seconds for me to get a feel for the style or feel of the film, you know? Um, and it, of course, it is like a large ensemble, so we only get to see about half of them, but um, it looks good. I
3: was talking to a friend of mine. After the trailer debuted and he was telling me, oh, man, this uh, this has the unfortunate uh, circumstance of coming out after the Judas and the Black Messiah trailer, which makes this like pale in comparison. (laughs) Literally (laughs) similar. Yeah. Very, very similar in terms of how they're cut. So with all that said, I think based on what I'm seeing here, at least um, visually, this does look like. A bit of a step up from Molly's game in terms of uh, Sorkin's directing. The bits that we hear of dialogue in this, I mean, that's quintessential Aaron Sorkin dialogue, so no surprise there. Didn't really get a sense, necessarily, of who the standout was uh, from the trailer for the cast, so can't really comment on that. But i'm still excited i still think it looks good my only uh big hesitation is the fact that it is being released this early and maybe that is because you know and this is kind of something i'm going to segue into in a little bit here netflix just has so much content this year and they want to get it out before the election so i think that's the reason why but you know with an extra added two months on this award season it is giving me a little bit of pause now that people could potentially watch this. And let's just imagine that the reviews are through the roof and everybody says, Oh my God, this is our best picture front runner. How long can the trial of the Chicago seven then maintain that momentum all the way until April?
5: Um, it, It also depends on how much Netflix is willing to push it after their other awards contenders debut, because it tends to happen with Netflix movies is that like they release and it's all anybody can talk about for, maybe a week (laughs) and then they move on to the next thing. These movies and TV shows that Netflix put out, they don't have a lot of staying power generally in the cultural consciousness. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. They may have to really push it if it is that good. You know why I think that is too,
3: Dan, in a lot of ways? I think it has to do with the distribution model. There's something to be said for releasing a film in limited release and pushing it to wide giving people an opportunity to see it over a couple of weeks, you know, and then pulling it from theaters and then releasing it as a physical copy or on digital. And then there's kind of like a rejuvenation, if you will, of then people that didn't see it in theaters watching it again. And with Netflix, it's one shot. It's out. People talk about it, like you said, and then poof it disappears
5: yeah and it doesn't disappear technically it is on the on the platform forever and ever amen but people move on to the next thing or next batch of things that they're releasing you know at the very most after a month right so it it gets buried amongst all the other tons of content they have I mean, I just
6: I imagine they'll treat this more like Aroma than a To All the Boys I Loved Before in terms of keeping in the conversation. You know, I I think yes, the conversation will disappear from maybe the general public, but they generally know how to keep a movie you know moving in the uh, awards sector.
3: Yes, I, I have no doubt about that. I mean, the question is, you know, will all the world be watching?
5: Yeah, and and without theaters that it's playing in like they did with Roma, like they did with Marriage Story, like they did with the Irishman. Will it still have the kind of thing power that those movies had?
3: Like, is this going to be one of the movies that attracts a very, very broad audience on the Netflix platform? Is this going to be something on the level of, say, like the old guard for people out there? Or is this a movie that is just going to be watched by people like us that follow the award season?
1: It's very difficult to say. I still think that it has the pedigree for uh, interest for a lot of people. I think that the material is going to feel very resonant, which I'm sure is what they're banking on. Um, I mean, it still looks like it's going to be an interesting movie to see. I'm a little worried that it's going to be very, like pretty much all about the politics and not about the characters. I'm a little nervous about that, especially with the cast this large. But... I'm sure that they're going to push that political message and how relevant it feels. And in election years in particular, that really makes a big difference for the reception of these movies.
3: Really quick, looking at your current Oscar predictions right now, which actors from this movie and now having seen glimpses of uh, some footage from this trailer, uh, like who are you guys currently predicting at the moment to get a nomination from it?
5: I have Sasha Baron Cohen, the highest on my list. Uh, if anyone is featured prominently in this trailer, it's him. Um, and then I have Mark Rylance because he's Mark Rylance, and,
1: and that's why <laughs> he's I already have Mark in Rylance. the club. <laughs> yeah, I have Mark Rylance ranked highest for me simply because of that. Because I feel like when you get a cast this large, and there might be some division in terms of who is your favorite, I kind of feel like the default just goes back to well who have we rewarded rewarded in the past? Who do we like already? And they are the ones that usually get the nomination.
6: Yeah. Um, very Octavia Spencer in that sense. Um, yeah. I have uh, the two you just mentioned. I have Yaya Abdul-Mateen the second up there. Um, and I have Jeremy strong up there too. After that article that came out a few months ago, that was talking about how method he was, but we'll see how the actual, you know, performance is. That's, just on <laughs> behind the scenes talk.
3: I think Yaha Abdul Mateen II is the one to watch out for amongst this cast, mostly because of the career trajectory that he's on at the moment. He's got a very juicy role playing Bobby Seal, but also with Watchmen, Aquaman, and everything else that he's got going on right now, it just feels like he is hot as an actor. I mean, he's also going to be in Candyman, you know, next year as well. So there's a lot going uh, in his favor, I think. Um, I agree with Mark Rylance. He's already part of the club. It's been a while since that win for Bridge of Spies. It makes sense for him to be back in the conversation again. And Sasha Baron Cohen, yeah, the trailer did focus on him enough that it, it would make sense. And, you know... I know Sacha Baron Cohen gets make a bit of a bad rap from some people. He has an Oscar nomination for adapted screenplay for Borat. A
5: very deserved Oscar nomination. Yeah, like I was saying, I think the bad
3: rap comes from doing (laughs) movies like Bruno, The Dictator, where it's like he was kind of just like always, you know, playing in that comedy realm that Academy members don't typically tend to go for, the Oscar nomination for Borat withstanding. But when you look at some more of his work and things like Les Miserables or Sweeney Todd, a demon barber of Fleet Street, for example, you know, he's worked with um, some high profile directors. I mean, Martin Scorsese, Hugo, you know, that I do believe that there is a chance that, you know, this could result. I don't know if it's going to be lead. I don't know if it's going to be supporting, you know, my gut instinct as of right now says... Uh, my gut instinct right now. Oh God. It says that I think everybody is probably supporting, but I have Eddie Redmayne in lead. I'm shrugging right now just because he's the biggest name in the cast. I don't know.
5: <laughs> you know? I mean, remember with Sasha Baron Cohen too, that they love it when comedians get serious.
3: You know, maybe, maybe the, the right move would just be to put everybody supporting and just have, call it a day. It would certainly be easier. Well, they made that call uh, with Delroy Lindo this week for Defy Bloods. Uh, Netflix has officially announced that he's going to be campaign lead uh, for
6: that movie, not supporting. As he should be. Thank thank God. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I wasn't really nervous, but, you know, there was enough talk that I was like, don't don't fuck this up, Netflix. Come on.
3: Yeah. And then, you know, kind of like I was saying before, like a bit of a segue here, Netflix has really i think the narrative of 2020 and like the media world has been without netflix we would not have had uh the year that we've had so far just in terms of content it seems like every single week there is a new film from netflix that is worth talking about one week, it's I'm Thinking of Ending Things. This week, it is The Devil All the Time. Next week, it's going to be Enola Holmes. You know, the week after that, The Trial of the Chicago 7, and it's not going to stop. They still have The Boys in the Band. They have uh, the 40-year-old version. They've got The Prom. They've got Mank coming. They've got Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. The list is endless for Netflix this year in terms of the amount of content that they have, which is why for this week's poll... Before the awards contenders really, really start now to come out from Netflix, I wanted to ask everyone, which Netflix film from 2020 has been your favorite so far? A couple of films from the list include Crypt Camp, Defy Bloods, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, Eurovision, Enola Holmes, Project Power, Miss Americana, The Devil All the Time, The Half of It, The Old Guard, Tiger Tail, Cuties, Residue social dilemma i mean there's a lot there's so many options like i said even below uh below the radar ones ones that we don't talk about maybe as much there are still some like hidden gems out there that people like have not necessarily uh, even discovered so i don't know like what has been the standout for you so far this year cody
6: I mean pretty easily I'm thinking of any things so it's my number 1 of the year so far but Divine Blood's is you know worth checking out it's really ambitious especially for Netflix it feels like the kind of movie that you would uh need to see in theaters to fully appreciate but it I think totally works at home
3: yeah and also takes on to uh, like a new profound meeting on a rewatch now in the wake of Chadwick Boseman's untimely death as well Josh what about you Am
1: I allowed to say Dick Johnson is dead?
3: (laughs) Yeah, I think so. That's fine. I know it's not out yet, but yeah, why not? It's not technically out yet, but people – there are
1: people who have seen it and man, like that's a movie that just not only my favorite documentary so far, it's it's one of my favorites of the year so far. Like I haven't – to me that is a movie that is deeply effective in both storytelling and just emotional resonance and – There are a few films that have rivaled
5: it at all this year. I I would have to go with that one. Dan? I'm with Cody. I'm thinking of Ending Things is just (laughs) mind-blowing. And I'm actually going to echo
3: that as well. I'm thinking of Ending Things is by far my favorite uh, so far this year that they have put out. But, I mean, with Trial of the Chicago 7 and Mank coming on the horizon, I you know have a feeling that those could fight for that top spot as well and you know it's very potentially possible that all of them could end up on like my top 10 list at the end of the year i mean they 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 just they 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 have such an arsenal this year and i think their decision also to kind of sit back with the film festivals this year was such a smart one looking back on like the way that tiff and nyff has gone on so far that even without being at the film festivals they've managed to still not dominate but just be a part of the conversation in a very meaningful way that being a part of the film festivals would have almost come off as bullying like they were muscling everybody out it would feel like yeah i think that was a
1: good decision um i do actually want to say one other thing um if I am going to pick a movie from Netflix that has already been released, I will also say that there's this little movie called Residue that dropped, um, I think it was on Thursday of last week. It's very tiny. It's a debut, but it's really fascinating and very well done. And is all about kind of gentrification and changing communities it's not perfect, but it's a really exciting, bold vision
3: that I really want people to check out. And that has been a highlight for me of the year as well. Yep. So head on over to the polls page, nextbestpicture.com. Cast a vote there. Tell us what your favorite Netflix film of 2020 so far has been. And for last week's poll, we asked everyone, uh, which film do you think will be the next Best Picture Oscar winner? Temperature gauge. Let's find out from everyone what they think is going to win the Oscar for Best Picture. Cody? What do you think it is as of today?
6: OK, so last week when I voted for it, it was uh, Trial of the Chicago 7. That's before the trailer came out, I believe. I still do think it's maybe bad just for lack of a um, another option. Uh, we'll see if the quality lives up. We'll see if the Netflix factor factors in. But it definitely feels like, especially after an election, the kind of movie that the Oscars like to reward nowadays Um something like nomadland is definitely like (laughs) if this were horoscopes it would be like nomadland rising but uh (laughs) and you know if there is a netflix backlash i could see it kind of falling in the favor of nomadland but still for now i'm gonna say the trial of the chicago seven okay
3: all right josh last
1: week i was with soul and i'm still gonna stick to it um i think that this is And you obviously we are in unprecedented times. We have no idea what this Oscar race is going to be like, and I kind of feel like that's a perfect situation to produce an unprecedented winter winner. And I I think that Soul might just do it. Uh, It's a bit of a risk right now, but this is the time to be risky, and I'm going to stick with Soul,
5: Dan Bear. And I said last week, I'm sticking with mank until proven otherwise. And I have yet to be proven otherwise.
3: All right. Let's take a look and see what the community has to say. Number 10, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom at number 10. I don't know, Dan, you're familiar with the source material on that. Do you think it has the makings to win Best Picture?
5: Um, if I'm being honest, no. It, it strikes me as like a screenplay acting winner. But, I mean, who knows? Maybe they do find something special in the way that they film it. It certainly has the content to resonate. Um, But I don't know if it'll be like a best picture feel.
3: Number nine. Watch out for this one. Judas and the Black Messiah.
5: Want to see that so, so badly.
1: Yeah, I'll feel more confident when we get our release about it. Yeah, me too.
3: I cannot. You guys, like, I mean, in all honesty, how do you not release that? during Black History Month. How? I I don't know. They have to do it. I I will be shocked if they don't release it in February to qualify for the Oscars. I will be shocked.
1: (laughs) Well, well, and and that we've gotten posters and trailers for it already also sort of suggests that whenever the release date is, it will be relatively soon.
5: Yeah. I I just like, I'm so wary of it because we have gotten fantastic trailers for so many not great movies in the past. True. (laughs) True. Like, it looks so good, but there's that little voice in the back of my mind saying, like, we really don't know anything about this one. Uh, number eight. No
3: release date, but people are still holding out hope. The French Dispatch.
1: Mm, yeah, I mean, no release date for that one. I would consider that a very big gamble to say that
3: is going to play this year. But, you know, we'll see. Number seven. One Night in Miami. Regina King's directorial debut. I
5: still question
3: if it's even a nominee, to be honest with you.
5: I, I certainly think it could be a nominee, but not the winner. Like having seen it, it's it's not a winner. It would make a very deserving nominee, though. Number six. To five bloods. That yeah, that that still feels like
1: residual from the summer and most people haven't seen the upcoming contenders yet so it's still fresh in people's minds i am still a bit skeptical that it will do anything outside of delroy lindo especially given netflix's slate um you know we'll see but i'm a bit skeptical about that
6: yeah we'll see if the other netflix titles disappoint unfortunately and then i would feel more confident kind of bumping it up my
5: lineup i echo that as well I get people saying it, though, since it is the only one that we've seen and we know it's good. Yeah. Number
3: five. Pixar's Soul. All right. The conversation made it into the top five. I am starting to definitely catch this vibe, Josh. I, I, I definitely am starting to get there. I'm not fully ready to predict it yet, but. The idea of our first foreign language winner for Best Picture followed by our first ever animated film for Best Picture just is like that is way, way, way too incredible to like even consider, in my opinion. Like it's too good to be true. And that's why I, I'm having such a hard time like putting it in that prediction slot right now. It, it just feels yeah. way too eu-
5: euphoric. Same for me too. <laughs>
1: I, I get it. I do. But I also look at this year, which is very unpredictable. And we have like all of our usual norms about how an award season is going to go. We just really can't rely on them anymore. And I think for that, that's the time to kind of look at the slate and think, OK, maybe something truly different is going to come about from this. And that's one situation. I mean, we're still early. I am not going to hold on to this if it becomes very clear that that's not going to happen. But at this point, I think that there are things in the ether that can push that to a very good position for that movie. Number four,
3: Denny Villeneuve's Dune.
6: <laughs> OK. Uh, yeah, guys, come on. All
3: right. <laughs> I, I, I definitely... I think it being in the 10 here makes sense, but having it up this high as a predicted winner doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I
1: I will. I'll say this for, for doom that it will definitely rack up a lot of below the line nominations. And I think that there is an argument that whenever you start getting into the six, seven, eight territory for a movie like that, it does push it into the best picture realm in an expanded field. I still don't really think that's going to happen. But with that many nominations below the line, you do have to at least consider it, but not to the point of it winning.
5: Yeah, I remember, like, even though it's Denis Villeneuve, it's still Dune. And Dune is pretty out there. Yeah.
6: Even just Denis Villeneuve doesn't really indicate much. I mean, I love the guy, but, like, Arrivals is only... Across the board, Oscar success.
3: Yup. Number three, The Trial of the Chicago 7. And number two and number one, with a difference of 60 votes. Number two, it fell out of the top spot, Mank. Number one, Nomadland.
5: Which, if I may... Uh, Tiff has just announced their People's Choice Award winners. Oh. And the winner is Nomadland.
3: Wow. That makes Nomadland the first film to win the Golden Line and the
5: People's Choice Award at Tiff. Yep. The runner-ups are One Night in Miami and the a little Canadian film called Beans, which I saw and loved and immediately pegged as a potential People's Choice winner.
1: Yeah. Um, I remember you mentioned that, Dan.
5: Yeah. Uh, Tiff for documentary was Inconvenient Indian, which I did not see. And the Tiff award for Midnight Madness was Shadow in the Cloud, which uh, I talked about earlier and is so deserving.
1: All right. It's kind of not a shocking list exactly. of, yeah. of winners there. You know, it's pretty expected, but, you know, mm-hmm. it, it certainly puts Nomadland in a very, very good position right now. Oh. It does
3: indeed. Okay, well that is definitely a huge development uh because I personally I I still don't see Nomadland as the best picture winner having seen the film. I th- I still maintain I, I think that this is like either. I think Nomadland is this year's Roma or Boyhood. I think it's going to be a critics film. It's going to dominate, I think, a lot of the precursor conversation and then when voters start seeing it and then when general audiences start seeing it if general audiences even see movies this year because they haven't seen anything i think they're all going to watch it and they're all going to be like oh that's it and that's not a dig against the movie i love the movie it too is also my favorite film of all of the film festival titles that i've seen over the last couple of weeks i think the movie is phenomenal it's probably going to be in my top 10 of the year but this is how the Academy just based on trends of the past, this is how they tend to react to movies such as this. And there's nothing that I have seen that would tell me that they would do something different here.
1: Yeah. The thing about predicting for the Oscars, especially at this point, you kind of have to imagine what the race is going to look like down the road. You can't just get obsessed with festival prizes and and critic praise. You have to really think about how the industry is going to respond to something. And you know, I haven't seen No Bad Land yet, but it does feel like the classic critics love it, and then the industry respects it but finds something else that they have more passion for.
3: All right, so that will uh, recap the polls here over at Next Best Picture. Once again, head on over to the polls page on nextbestpicture.com, cast a vote there and let us know your votes now moving over to our second trailer for this week a movie that i know dan is very anxious to talk about it is the trailer for the father starring anthony hopkins and olivia coleman a few others premiered earlier this year at the sundance film festival which is where i had the uh pleasure of seeing the movie dan just saw it this week at toronto let's take a look at the trailer for this one
0: date of birth friday 31st of december 1937 You're living with your daughter at the moment? Yes, until she goes to live in Paris. No, Dad, why do you keep going on about Paris? You told me. No, I didn't. I'm sorry, Anne, you told me the other day. Have you forgotten? She's forgotten. Paris. They don't even speak English there. Dad, I'd like you to meet Laura. How do you do, sir? I say you're gorgeous. Thank you. (laughs) I must say he's charming. Yeah, not always. Laura has come round to help you. I don't need her or anyone else. I can manage very well on my own. Everything all right? Who are you? Anthony, it's me, Paul. Who? I live here. What is this nonsense? Anne? It's me. Ah, there she is. Your father seemed a bit confused. Something wrong? Where's Anne? Sorry? Anne, where is he? I'm here. What's the matter, Dad? Strange things going on around us. Don't worry. Everything will sort itself out. Saw it in his eyes. Didn't know who I was. It was like I was a stranger to him. Just did something to me. I don't know what she's cooking up against me, but she's cooking something up. What are you talking about, Dad? I'm not leaving my flat! I am not leaving my flat! This really is my flat. Isn't it? You see, the situation is very simple. My daughter is of the opinion that I cannot manage on my own. I'm so sorry about this. Why, she understands perfectly. It's important. I explained it all to you. Why do you keep looking as if there's something wrong? Everything is fine. I think she tries to do the best she can for you, Anthony. Everything will be all right, I promise you. There's something funny going on.
3: Guys, no bullshit. Anthony Hopkins delivers one of the greatest performances I've ever seen in my entire life in this movie. (laughs) Like, that is not hyperbole. Like, I am being completely honest.
5: Seriously, he... he. Like, if there is anyone, male, female, in film, on television that gives a better performance than Anthony Hopkins does in this movie this year, I will be shocked. He is all kinds of amazing like i i really like i don't have the words to say how god damn incredible he is in this movie i and look i i saw the play on broadway and it was powerful on stage when franklin Langella played the lead role it is just as powerful on film and I'm a little bit obsessed with how Florian Zeller who wrote the play um, has directed this movie because it's so so well done like I cannot tell you like the visual eye this guy has is just incredible and the way he tells this story it is I, I've never seen a movie do what he does in this movie. <laughs>
1: Wow. I never. And it's very interesting, Dan, because usually whenever you have playwrights direct the film adaptation of their own material, I don't think it really goes off that well. So looking at you, doubt. <laughs> yep. Uh, so that you say that is very encouraging to me.
3: I think like I think the thing also and I was considering this when I saw the movie at Sundance, I remember thinking right away, oh, my God, this is a best film editing contender. And this is pre COVID. So now that we are living in the world that we're living in, and this is obviously, I think, the front runner for best actor at this point, for sure. Coleman definitely feels like a residual nomination waiting to happen. The screenplay is definitely going to be there. I think editing is there. I think we really need to consider picture and director at this point for this movie as well.
6: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. When you bring in all those factors, it's, Im- I think, impossible if you're, a, you know, you know, what you're doing in the Oscar race to not at least pop it in, in the top 10 for best picture.
5: And I mean, when you consider this is probably also going to be a DGA best first time feature contender, since it is so major and it is his first feature. Um, so it's, he's going to be getting attention for directing uh, in some way. And the actors are going to respond to it. I can tell you that much. And yeah, it's guys like you're not ready for this.
3: <laughs> I I, I
5: want to echo that as
3: well. It's not only the most creative use of film editing I've seen since Memento or even something like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, but it also is a movie that. I think you know for all the reasons that you were talking about before Josh and how like Dick Johnson is dead wrecked you I think that the father is also going to emotionally wreck so many people um just in regards to uh aging and also uh anyone that's ever dealt with anyone that is suffering from Alzheimer's I mean it, it, it's it, it's a really devastating film truly
5: oh yeah'm I'm, I'm prepared to be devastated be the am. last. <laughs> The last scene of this movie is just it. The, oh. la-
3: the last scene of this movie, in my opinion, like has this performance from Hopkins fighting tooth and nail with Hannibal Lecter for some of the best work that he's like ever done.
5: Oh, I think it is hands down the best work he's ever done.
3: It, it, it's my, it's mind blowing. And, and at 82 years old for him to pull this out now yeah. is like it, it's, it, it's,
5: It's inconceivable that it could be this good, but it is. (laughs) I I really, like, I can't, I cannot praise this movie enough.
3: And I want to preface by saying another thing, too, which is that, you know, once again, pre-COVID, I would have thought on paper when I saw this, I I immediately thought, okay, uh, Hopkins, Coleman with screenplay editing, like, on the table and then as the year went on it was like well you know what Florian Zeller could get maybe a lone director nomination but then when i started to see like all these releases get pushed out and A24 is not releasing like anything right now and you know as the the feel started to thin out that's where the best picture possibility then started to come into play for me and it, it like as Cody said like everything just seems to kind of be making sense for this to be one of those across-the-board contenders because it has the emotion. It's got the technical skill. It's got great writing, great performances. It it, it literally checks off every single box for Academy members.
6: (laughs) I've heard a lot of talk about Anthony Hopkins, but I've also heard, if not as much, but really admirable praise for Olivia Colman. She is great.
5: (laughs) She is great. The thing is, is that, the it's not the kind of role where she's gonna like win a second. And the fact that Hopkins so thoroughly owns this movie means that a lot of people it's gonna come down to it's the Anthony Hopkins show. Sure. but she's really, really good. It's a very strong supporting performance. And she she is as good as Olivia Coleman always is and definitely some emotional moments that will I mean she's it, it's it's really strange because like Hopkins is the POV character of the movie but in many ways she is too because she's sort of like the audience surrogate in the like how we come to feel about and understand his character and it's it's very, very good performance. It's not big, though, and Hopkins is big. Yeah. I, I also just need to say that, like, wh- when I saw this movie and what they do with it, I, I, I need this to get a production design nomination so badly, and it will never happen. But what it does with the production design is fucking brilliant.
3: I think, and I talked to Dan about this as well, I think that because the production design for the reasons that Dan uh, mentioned to me, these like tiny little details and these things that you guys will realize when you see the movie. I'm thinking of ending things also just did something very similar in that regard with its uh, style of filmmaking as well, which is why it's not going to happen. And Dan fully recognizes that, but it does, I think fervor. The possibility of that Florian Zeller uh, director nomination, because I do think all these little subtle things add up to a director's uh, vision of the
5: story. Yeah, I he right now is sort of like an outside dark horse chance to get a nomination. But if it happens, I would not be surprised at all. This this is one of the strongest films of the year without question.
1: I mean, it, it looks good. I, You know, the word that you have kind of been saying about it seems pretty much amplified or pretty much um, seen in this trailer. Uh, I, yeah, don't really have that much more to add because I just want to see it. <laughs> it's totally yeah. really good to me.
6: And speaking to uh, the Hopkins of it all. uh winning a second Best Actor prize doesn't seem too out there for somebody like Hopkins, especially when his first prize is, yes, it is, you know, a totemic performance that's one of the best in the category ever, but a lot of people do consider it supporting, you know. It so is. having yeah. a, a win that is like a and true also, Best Actor. It was also it's 30 kind of, years ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like when somebody wins a supporting prize and they're like, well, we got to give him the lead too. And though even though he already has a lead, it kind of feels like this is his lead prize in a way
3: yeah i definitely think so and and listen in the year is still young you know i mean there's a lot of things that could happen delroy lindo could pick up a tremendous amount of steam you know and contend for a first win gary oldman could also come in and swing it potentially for a second win in this category although i actually think that uh his nomination if he gets one is going to be seen as more like leonardo DiCaprio's was last year for hollywood where it was like oh my God, we like you so much more in this movie than the movie we actually gave it to you for. And they hold off on actually doing a second one as a result of that. You know what I mean? So there's still a lot of fluidity within this race. There's still a lot of things that could happen. And I think that there's even still some unknown... Contenders that we're not even paying attention to that could possibly come out of nowhere still. There's so much time that's still left. Hi guys, I'm Dean. And I'm Daniel. And we're from the Movie
2: Journey Podcast. Where we break down every movie from the IMDb Top 250 list, giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way. We're also home of the Pod V Pod, where we battle other podcasters in various movie games and drafts. We also do reviews of new releases, film tournaments, top five lists, and talk about everything else we've watched as well. We used to be the IMDb Journey Podcast, but since then, we've grown and matured with age. Yeah, if you don't believe us, why don't you listen to some more genuine testimonies?
3: Oh, hey guys, I, uh, I used to like the IMDb Journey podcast, but since then I've found something even better. It's the Movie Journey
2: podcast! Oi bro, I know I said the IMDb Journey podcast was a good show, but the Movie Journey podcast is so much better. Absolutely for sure, yeah. You know, I used to think that nothing could be funnier than IMDb Journey, but I've now found my joy in Movie Journey podcast. The IMDb Journey podcast is nothing compared to the Movie Journey podcast. Absolutely love this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) amazing testimonies once again absolutely legit and real of course and if you still don't believe those testimonies go ahead and check out the show for yourself by searching for the movie journey podcast you can find us on all your favorite platforms including itunes spotify stitcher and podbean
0: so
3: come along and join our journey let's answer now some fan questions let's call it a day here let's take a look and see what the fans submitted for us to answer on this week's episode Scott Kernan asks, uh, because of how closely it is approaching, I felt it was important to ask this question. How do you all think the upcoming presidential election will affect the best picture Oscar race and winner? It will affect it greatly.
1: I've been kind of mentioning that ever since we were talking about the Oscar race, that I think that the election and depending on which way it goes is going to determine the mood of people and what they feel feel like rewarding so i think that's going to have a big impact just like the last one had a pretty big impact
3: i i personally do feel that we can't really start taking anything seriously when it comes to best picture until after november 3rd yeah like we're talking about Nomad Land right now right and that's what everybody is like putting as like the default front runner at this current moment but you know that's all going to change i think on november 3rd i really do Yeah, and how
1: happy Mm -hmm. we are
3: after November
5: 3rd. And I think a lot of it will also be dependent on when theaters are able to reopen and what, if anything, opens in theaters versus what is, you know... Playing digitally, I think that's going to impact maybe even more so than the election because it will affect what movies actually get released and who sees them.
3: Uh, Lindy Erickson asks, what are some political movies or documentaries you would recommend people to watch before the election? I mentioned all in the, uh, the fight for democracy earlier, but are there any
5: others? Uh, it's an older one, but uh, The Candidate with Robert Redford. Oh yeah, that's right. That's good. Is a really, really good um piece of kinda satire y I think it's the seventies sixties or seventies, but I think it was the seventies. Um it kind of forgotten slash not really talked about a lot now, but it's it's really good. Um and I think the other one that uh, feels rather appropriate these days and I'm just going to say the name and leave it at that is the Manchurian candidate.
1: Mm, yep. <laughs> I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about.
6: Cody. Um I'm I'm looking at my list right now. I think in terms of documentaries if you're looking for something really current that shows the state and future of this country, you can't really go uh, wrong with Boy States. Uh highly recommended obviously, but you know, plenty of people have already talked about that. So check it out if you haven't.
3: Josh, any off
1: the top of your head? Um, (laughs) The ones off the top of my head are not really, like, commenting on the current state of politics, which might be for the best right now because we're so inundated with the current state and how stressful and anxiety-inducing that is might be the best option for people. So, like, the ones that came to my mind were stuff like Primary Colors, which is – So much about 90s politics, but it's almost like, oh, how quaint. (laughs) when that was what we had to worry about. And another one is not about our politics necessarily, but I do love In the Loop and just the entire political commentary of that movie. So, again, not really about our current time, but I think still a very, very entertaining watch.
3: Rob Montoya. I feel like we're going to get asked this question a lot. So let's uh, answer it again, because I know we talked about it last week. But let's let's like really hammer this in. Based on early reviews of Nomadland, Frances McDormand is considered a frontrunner for Best Actress. This would be number three for her. Do you think she could win a third in such a short period? If not, who do you think could or will win Best Actress? Dan, say it.
5: Viola Davis, baby.
3: Yeah, I don't think that Frances McDormand is winning for Nomadland. I'm going to just put it out there. I'm going to reiterate this no. over and over and over and over again. I don't think that she's winning. I think that it's going to... I mean, there's so much that could still happen, but having seen the movie now, I don't think Frances McDormand is winning.
6: Nominated, though, for sure.
3: Nominated, for sure. I definitely Dominated think so. Nominated, for sure, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah.
5: Mm-hmm. yeah. definitely. It, it, yeah. it is. It, the thing that would push her to a win in some years is the fact that it is very different from either of her winning performances. It it is not something that we've really seen from her. It's definitely in, in a a minor key, I would say, when compared to other things, it's very reserved and restrained, but it's still good and funny. It's very naturalistic, but I think and that is the problem with Nomad Land on the whole. It's very naturalistic, and it's kind of slow and meandering, and when I think of it appealing to a broad spectrum of the Academy, I, I, I don't see it yet. Um, yeah, I just feel like there's more
6: urgency to give Viola a second in lead rather than give Francis, who won more recently, a third in the same category. I
5: which, completely plus, agree. I mean, like it is August Wilson dialogue, which she already proven she can. She's great with in Fences, and people like the big speechifying. And also, it's a transformative role. Uh, neither of which are the case for Francis McDormand.
3: <laughs> uh, Ronnie Castle. Uh, asks, uh, no category fraud for Delroy Lindo means that they're going to campaign Chadwick Boseman for supporting and defy bloods, right? Uh, actually, not that movie. I think it's going to be from Rainey's Black Bottom. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah.
5: I mean, like, yes, he will be placed as supporting, but I think when it comes to campaigning, they're going to campaign for Ma Rainey's, not for defy bloods.
6: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only chance I can see defy bloods getting the boost from Netflix is if Ma Rainey's is like severely disappoints. But I mean, there's no way to know at this point.
3: That CM guy 1988 asks, in honor of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's life and legacy, what is the best cinematic heroine in any movie for you guys? Geez, hold on. <laughs> oh,
1: um, you know, right, to be honest, it. like it, I honestly think that the answer for me is probably Ripley and Alien.
5: Yeah, that was like my go to response was Ripley between Alien and Aliens. But like when I, I think about Ruth Bader Ginsburg and... I think like real people, my mind always goes to Aaron Brockovich. Oh, that's a good choice too. Yeah. yeah.
3: Um, I am a diehard Furiosa
6: fan, so got to give it up to Charlize. Uh, I have uh top two. Uh, I don't really know which to choose between Clarice from Silence of the Lambs and, um, Marge from Fargo. Speaking of Franz McDormand, love them yeah. both. Great yeah, choice. they're both just completely different, you know, sides of. uh nice. <laughs> I nice. realized I picked two cops, but you know, they're law enforcement.
3: Yeah. Archie W. Marshall asks: uh, Many people, myself included, currently have Soul predicted to compete for Best Picture. Does the rumor that Soul may be released straight to Disney Plus have any impact on that? The Academy still seems to
6: have a distaste for straight to streaming films. I mean, they won't be alone in streaming, you know, contenders this year. So.
1: Yeah, their bias against streaming movies I think only matters when there is the alternative to see it in theaters, which there really isn't right now. So I, if it premieres on Disney Plus, I don't really see that as a hindrance to it. And you know, all it actually does this year is just get it in front of more people, and it just is in the conversation. I think to a a better degree than if it were in theaters and kind of struggling with audiences there.
3: Somebody asked me uh, privately if I thought that Pixar would want to run the risk of upsetting Pete doctor by putting it on streaming the same way like Warner Brothers didn't want to upset Christopher Nolan and I'm like what is this debate you know like what like what are we talking about here you know when it comes to this I it, it comes down to it comes down to dollars. That's what it comes down to, you know, and if they have no way to release soul theatrically, uh, because let me tell you, the box office performance of Tenet, not that encouraging right now for people. And
5: it was in the middle yeah. of the summer. Try doing this now in the middle of winter. <laughs> I mean, Mulan made more on Disney Plus than Tenant has in theaters. And that was
3: that was also with them announcing that people could get it in December, <laughs> which a lot of people I'm sure didn't pay to $30 and they're waiting to watch it. So, imagine if they hadn't actually said that, you know, how much more money they probably could have gotten out of it, maybe. So, I think that the play is to put it on streaming right now on Disney+. Plus, Pay the premium. I, I think that is the move. And
1: I think you will have more people willing to pay the premium for Seoul than they were for Mulan.
5: I completely agree. Yeah. But this is like goes back to what I was saying earlier. Like, I think the the uh, availability of things for people to see will really determine what gets best picture nominated this year.
3: All right. Nicole Schmidt 04. Do you think that this at home style of film festivals will persist post pandemic? No, not at all. Like not in any
5: any capacity i i it it could be but only for like people in the area like the immediate area of the film festival because let me say like the all of the like the streaming platform and the um the Talks and dialogues and stuff that Tiff ran during the festival was really, really well done. And now that they have these platforms, I don't know why they wouldn't continue to use them going forward. But when you come down to the spirit of what a film festival is, it's not this.
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, I don't ever see them doing it in the same like capacity as they're doing it now but i could definitely see a situation where their major titles play in, you know in the location at the where the festival is but they might have some smaller stuff out there that they'll put on an online platform that other people can watch you know you still have to come to the festival for the bigger stuff but there might be a few to just highlight those titles i could see that may be happening in the future in a reduced capacity.
3: I could see it being used for talks and things of that nature, interactive stuff like Josh was mentioning, but my firm no is definitely pertaining to the main slate, the major titles. I think that this is, yeah, no, that's why I was like, no, there's just no way because to Dan's point, that is not what a film festival is. And it works right now because, thank God, we actually have one as opposed to nothing. But if things ever get back to any form of normal ever again in the future,
5: then into the theaters we go. (laughs) I I do think that they will use this platform a lot for um, screening things to potential buyers, Um, people who, you know, looking movies that are looking for distribution to get picked up. I think this is a really viable platform for that um, as opposed to, you know, finding, you know, private screening rooms on the site of a film festival. But as far as like people screening movies in a film festival from home, I, I don't know. All right.
3: Sam James Peck, this or that. Quickly, no hesitation. Answer right away. This or that? A league of their own or field of dreams? League of their own. League of of their own. own. (laughs) Shrek or Kung Fu Panda? Shrek.
5: Oh, Uh, maybe Kung Fu Panda. Actually, like Like, yeah.
6: (laughs) I'll say Shrek. I don't know.
3: Honey Boy or Peanut Butter Falcon? Honey Boy. Honey Boy. Honey Boy. I
6: only saw Honey Boy, so
3: super bad or Easy A? Easy A. Super super bad. Oh, super bad when it's close. Scott Pilgrim or Baby Driver. Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim.
6: Masterpiece.
3: <laughs> Pinocchio or Dumbo. Dumbo. Pinocchio. Pinocchio. Pinocchio.
6: Dumbo so cute though. Vertigo
3: or Rear Window. Vertigo. Vertigo. Oh, Vertigo.
1: Rear window and it is not close.
6: I was just gonna say it's Ooh. very close. For me. <laughs>
1: it's not close for me.
3: It's very close for me. <laughs> and these last two, dear God, Green Book or Driving Miss Daisy? Green Book. I think. I think
6: Green Book. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. I'm gonna say uh,
3: Green Book.
5: Yeah, I'm gonna say Green Book. God, I'm going to say Driving Miss Daisy, but only because it doesn't also have homophobia on top of everything else. Movie Forty
3: Three or After Earth? <laughs>
5: oh God, I I am God. happy to say that I have seen neither of those movies. So I can abstain. <laughs> I am
3: going with Movie Forty Three or the uh, Movie Forty Three for the sheer, uh, WTFness of what some of those actors were even doing in the movie.
6: I'm going with After Earth because it's like anti art. It really has to be seen to believe.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean.
1: I think I'm going to go with After Earth, because at least After Earth is a movie. <laughs> at least it is, like, somewhat, like, watchable. Not a not a great deal, but at least it isn't, like, a complete abomination of th- something that Satan created and put in front of us. Like, movie 43 is unwatchable. <laughs> like, at least I can get something even very
3: basic- out of After Earth. And thank you very much, everyone, for submitting questions for this week. I wish we could answer them all, but, you know, time is short. And we will be back, obviously, next week to answer more questions. Thank you all so much for listening. Josh, where can they find you on the Internet? You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. Cody
6: Derricks. I'm on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Instagram at CodyMonster91.
5: Dan Baer. You can find me on Twitter at Dance and Dan on Film.
6: And
3: you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 212 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Player, FM, Cast Castbox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate the feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon for $1 minimum a month you will get some exclusive podcast content from us thank you so much for listening as always we shall see you all next time